Far beneath the glitz and the glamour of the skyscrapers that dominate the skyline of New York City, the gritty streets of the Big Apple are ruled by organized crime. One of New York's most infamous crime syndicates is the Five Families, a collective of five mafia organizations, or families, who dictate and control large portions of the city's illegal activities. They are extremely powerful and are known to be utterly ruthless with anyone who dares to stand in their way. The story of the five families began in the 1920s when the American Mafia was in control of a mobster known as Joe the Boss Masseria. Masseria was the reigning godfather or the boss of all bosses and his crew consisted mostly of gangsters from Sicily and southern Italy. Masseria's crew included the well-known underworld figure Charles Lucky Luciano, Albert Mad Hatter Anastasia, Vito Genovese, Joe Adonis, and Frank Costello. Joe the Boss ruled with a jealous and oppressive style of leadership, which became the source of much resentment amongst the ranks of the fledgling American Mafia. However, Masseria was feared just as much as he was resented. He was known as a harsh taskmaker who wouldn't hesitate to eliminate anyone he considered to be a threat to his iron-fisted control of New York City. Trouble began to brew when the powerful Sicilian mobster, Don Vito Ferro, made a move to take control of mafia operations in America. Commanding the operation from his home base in Castellamar del Golfo, Don Vito Ferro dispatched Salvatore Maranzano, one of his most trusted men, to infiltrate the American underworld and seize power through any means necessary. Maranzano's crew included Joseph, Joe Bananas Bonanno, Stefano, the Undertaker, Magadino, Joseph Profaci, and Joe Aiello. Salvatore operated a legitimate real estate business while he created a bootlegging empire in the shadows. He soon branched into prostitution and the smuggling of narcotics. Inevitably, tensions between Maranzano and Joe the Boss came to a head. Maranzano ordered the murder of Giuseppe, the clutch hand Morello, a noted member of the Masseria crime family, on August 15, 1930. A Castamarese gunman known only as Buster from Chicago executed Morello and his associate, Joseph Periano, at his office in East Harlem, officially kicking off a bloody power struggle known as the Castella Maurice War. Two weeks later, Maranzano struck again. Another Masseria family member, Joe Penzolo, was gunned down in an office located in Times Square. These attacks were answered by the death of Maranzano ally, Giuseppe Joe Aiello, who had made himself an enemy in Joe the boss in the recent past. Aiello had requested a meeting with Masseria to ask for his support in Joe's prolonged and bitter feud with the rival Chicago gangster, the notorious Al Capone. Masseria offered his assistance on one condition. He would control all the mafia operations on Chicago's east side. This suggestion enraged Aiello, who threatened his life and ordered him to leave Chicago immediately. It is believed that Masseria may have assisted Al Capone in his search for Aiello, who at this point had fled to Rochester, New York, to hide from Capone's hitmen. They managed to discover his whereabouts but Aiello evaded his would-be assassins and returned to Chicago. He holed up in the apartment of a trusted associate from the Chicago chapter of the Italian-American National Union. 
Unfortunately, Capone's men tracked him down again, and Aiello was shot by a sniper with a machine gun while hailing a cab in front of the apartment building. He staggered around the corner of the building to get out of the line of fire, and was immediately shot down by a second sniper. Yet, another machine gun was found a short way down the street. It had been set up in an open window in a different building, loaded and ready to fire. Maranzano responded in early November with the killing of Maseria family members, Alfred Mineo and Steve Ferrigno, who fell beneath a hail of bullets in a surprise ambush. On February 3rd of the following year, a Maseria lieutenant named Joseph Catania was riddled with gunfire as he left his home in New York. He died in the hospital two days later. The leadership of Alfred Mineo's crew was inherited by Francesco Scalise, who promptly gathered up his men and defected to the Maranzano family. At this point, Joe the boss was regularly losing men to the Maranzano's camp. Many defectors were resentful of Masseria's greed and his stubborn refusal to change with the times. Masseria was seen as a mustache Pete by the younger mobsters, a stiff old relic who was too firmly rooted in the old ways to adapt to the new world around him. In time, the Castella Maurice War became less about Sicilians versus their Americanized counterparts and more about the old guard struggling up against up-and-comer mobsters who were frustrated at being prevented from branching out their operation. This new generation came to be known as the Young Turks. Lucky Luciano was firmly among the ranks of the Young Turks. He wanted an end to what he saw as a completely unnecessary war, as well as a purge of the mustache peats. They were making business difficult by adhering to outdated traditions, Luciano and Vito Genovese began to covertly communicate with Salvatore Maranzano, so a deal was struck. Luciano would arrange for Masseria to be murdered, and Maranzano would bring the war to an end. Masseria was killed in a restaurant in Coney Island, Brooklyn, on April 15, 1931. Luciano allegedly excused himself to the bathroom during a game of cards. While he was gone, Masseria's assassin walked through the door and opened fire. The gunmen are thought to have been Albert Anastasia, Vito Genovese, Joe Adonis, and the Jewish gangster Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. Ciro, the artichoke king Terranova, was supposedly the driver of the getaway car, but according to legend, he was too shaken up by the murder of Joe, the boss, to drive the vehicle. Instead, he was shoved out of the driver's seat by Bugsy Siegel, who took the wheel himself and made their escape. Now that Masseria was gone, Maranzano reorganized the New York Mafia by dividing the main Italian gangs into five families. Shortly after Masseria's death, Maranzano announced that the new bosses of the five families would be himself, Lucky Luciano, Joseph Profacci, Vincent Mangano, and Thomas Gagliano. Salvatore himself would head the Maranzano family, and the other bosses would all head a gang with their last name as the family moniker. Each family consisted of a boss and underboss, followed by several captains or capos. Each capo would run a crew of soldiers, the backbone of the mafia hierarchy. Beneath the soldiers were a giant and a sordid pool of associates. Outsiders who did much of the mafia's dirty work in exchange for money and favors. Associates could come from any ethnicity or background. Still, if they were of Italian descent, there was also a faint possibility they might be invited to recite the oath and become both a soldier and 
a quote-unquote made man. Getting made means you are untouchable in the hierarchy of the underworld. To make a move against someone who's been completed, you must first get permission from the boss of his family. Acting against a full-fledged mob member without permission is often a death sentence, even if the perpetrator is a made man himself. Taking the oath also opens the door to many contacts and resources, allowing for new business opportunities that otherwise wouldn't have been available. Maranzano called a meeting of all the crime bosses in Wappinger Fall, New York, declaring himself the new boss of all bosses. Unfortunately, his reign at the top proved to be short-lived. Luciano soon became convinced Salvatore was even greedier and more heavy-handed than his predecessor. Maranzano suspected Luciano might become a threat, so he hired Irish gangster Vincent Mad Dog Cole to kill him. Luciano was warned he'd been marked for death and managed to keep himself out of harm's way. On September 10th, Maranzano ordered Luciano, Genovese, and Costello to come to his office at 230 Park Avenue in Manhattan. Convinced that Maranzano was planning to do away with all three of them in one fell swoop, Luciano decided to beat the new boss of all bosses to the punch. Maranzano was murdered that very same day in his Manhattan office by a team of Jewish gangsters, which allegedly included Samuel Red Levine, Bull Weinberg, and Bugsy Siegel. To gain entry to the heavily guarded office, the hit squad posed as government agents executing a warrant. While two assassins disarmed Maranzano's bodyguards, the others jumped on Salvatore and stabbed him multiple times. His killer also shot him as he lay there bleeding on the floor. In the aftermath of Maranzano's death, it was rumored there was a mass purge of the Mustache Peach in the nationwide massacre known as the Night of the Sicilian Vespers. Although no concrete evidence such an organized culling had ever taken place, the bodies of two other Maranzano allies, Samuel Monaco and Luis Russo, were retrieved from Newark Bay on September 13th. Both corpses showed evidence of torture. During the same time frame, the leader of the Pittsburgh crime family was shot to death in his home. The last of these high-profile casualties was Joe Ardizone, the head of the Los Angeles family. Ardizone disappeared en route to his cousin's home on October 15th and was never seen again. With Maranzano and Maserio out of the picture, the Young Turks assumed control of New York City. Luciano envisioned the American Mafia as a significant corporate entity, hoping to shed their image as a collection of murderers and street thugs. Luciano disdained any ideology that might hamper his profits, so he allowed for the inclusion of other ethnic groups in the Mafia business dealings. He also did away with the concept of an all-powerful godfather in favor of a new council known as the Commission. Members of the commission would meet every five years, or whenever necessary, to mediate disputes and democratically make essential decisions. In Joe Bonanno's autobiography, A Man of Honor, he wrote, We opted for a parliamentary arrangement, whereby a group of the most important men in our world would assume the function, formally performed by one man. The commission consisted of the new leaders of New York's five families and Chicago outfit boss Al Capone and Buffalo family boss Stefano Magadino. 
Luciano, was appointed chairman of the commission, enabling him to hold covert influence over the entire mafia without making himself a target. For many decades, the five families controlled New York City from the shadows, carefully avoiding undue attention from the media and the public. During this period, their leadership constantly changed due to incarceration, failing health, or cold-blooded murder. Even the names of the families changed. The Profaci family became the Colombo family, the Mangano family became the Gambino family, the Luciano family became the Genovese family, and the Gagliano family morphed into the Lucchese family. During this time, the five families enjoyed much success and amassed enormous wealth, all while claiming the Mafia didn't exist. Instead, they portrayed themselves as regular businessmen who were only moderately successful. The falsehood of these claims was highlighted during Lucky Luciano's trial for pandering in 1936, when the prosecutor grilled him over his income tax statement that claimed he had only made $22,000 the previous year when Luciano was clearly a very wealthy man. The mob's status as a secret underworld organization came to an end in the early 60s when a member of the Genovese family made history. His name was Joseph Alacci. In a stunning turn of events, Velacci agreed to testify against the mob. In 1959, Velacci was convicted of drug trafficking and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. The boss of the Genovese family, Vito Genovese, was also doing time in the same jail, and Velacci was paranoid that Vito had ordered his execution for the sum of $100,000. This culminated in the murder of another inmate, who Velacci believed to be Joseph Di Palermo, a hitman for the mob. Falacci beat the inmate to death with an iron pipe in case of mistaken identity gone wrong. In a bid to avoid the death penalty, Falacci offered to shed some light on the activities of his former friends and business associates. In October of 1963, Falacci testified before Arkansas Senator John L. McClellan in what became known as the Falacci hearings. His testimony was the first public violation of Omerta, the blood oath that binds every made man to a strict code of silence. Falacci's disclosures didn't lead directly to prosecuting his cronies, but he provided many previously unknown details of Mafia history, operations, and rituals. Falacci also aided in the investigation of several unsolved murders. He gave up the names and family connections of numerous members of Cosa Nostra, which translates to our thing, or this thing of ours, in English. The hearing was televised, exposing the world of organized crime to the masses through the safety of their television sets. Although the five families have primarily gone underground after the reign of the infamously media-hungry Gambino boss, John Gotti Sr., they still control the New York underworld to this very day. The mob has continued to branch out its illicit business ventures in modern times, staking its claim in everything from the pornography industry to Wall Street. Law enforcement agencies say otherwise despite the general belief that the Mafia is no longer a powerful entity in the underworld. The five families continue to extort, rob, and commit murder on the streets of the Big Apple. Across the nation, the Mafia maintain a presence in many different cities, influencing local politics and running their rackets behind a curtain of secrecy. The construction trade, the moving of freight, 
and lucrative waste management contracts are often controlled behind the scenes by the mob and their associates. Although the golden age of the five families has passed, they are still very much a force to be reckoned with. They are a tremendously wealthy organization with powerful connections and very little concern for the well-being of their enemies. But as Al Capone once famously stated, you can get much further with a kind word and a gun than you can with a kind word alone. This quote cuts to the heart of the matter. At first glance, the mob appears to be a collection of wealthy businessmen, but their success comes from the maiming and killing of others to ensure their financial gain. The five families have thrived for almost a century, and they will continue to do so as long as there is money to be made from their illegal activities. I'll end with another famous quote from the bold leader of the Young Turks himself, Lucky Luciano, who sums it up by saying, There's no such thing as good money or bad money. There's just money. I really hope you enjoyed this short documentary on the five families of New York City. If you would like me to take a more in-depth look at all of these families and make a much longer documentary in the future, let me know in the comments. I'd love to do so.